This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. Welcome to the D&D World! Meet you by the art room door In a circle on the hallway floor I made up a new map last night It's got a dragon and a wizard fight Yeah, I really feel like there's a kinetic energy that you get from playing a tabletop game that you cannot emulate electronically. Absolutely. It, uh, I used to say people, you know, it's, it's about, uh, 50%, uh, bad jokes and movie references, uh, 30% snacks, uh, 10% other chat and about 10% gaming gets, you know, done. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we'll fight some monsters, but we're really yeah, there. No. We're really there for the hang. <laughs> and the snacks. Always remember the snacks. But this isn't the snacks podcast. This is the Save or Die podcast, a podcast about Excellent. classic Dungeons and Dragons. Excellent. <laughs> I am uh, one of your hosts, Carl. And I'm your host, Courtney. Crispy could not be with us tonight. He's doing well since his regards, but he was not available. But we do have a special guest, uh, Mr. Daryl Wagner. Thank you, Daryl Daniel Wagner. That's me. And the I'm Grognard, Grognards. And absolutely. We're very excited to have you on this show. Uh, for those listening who may not know, uh, Daryl Wagner, uh, one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, the invention of the thief. Daryl Wagner created the thief class for Dungeons and Dragons. So before we get to that, though, I do want to ask about, just because uh, you got into the game so early on, I want to talk a little bit about what that experience was like. What was your introduction to the game like? Had you had experience with other games before? Were you a war gamer or did you come to it from a different angle? How did you get introduced to Dungeons and Dragons? Well, we had Friday night games at uh, a gentleman. His name is Thomas Coveney III. And we played Friday night games every night at his house. War games uh, and some sort of one game that was a kind of a early role-playing game. It was a jousting game. And you'd, you'd write down where you're going to aim at the helmet, the shield, mm-hmm. whatever. And the other guy would write down that. There was a matrix to see whether you had a horse the other guy or not. But in the back, there was some paragraphs how to do your coat of arms and how to do a character. Now, of course, that was all pure background, completely extraneous to the game. But you'd write up the name of your character and his background and stuff like that. So there was some sort of role-playing games even before Dungeons & Dragons. But they were very... Uh, primitive and and the role play was either done and it was the whole thing like say uh back in the with dave arneson but it wasn't they had no rules or they had rules and the role playing was a little side issue so that's what happened with dungeons and dragons it brought together role playing with rules and that's the genius of gary gygax um we got 
one of the very first copies of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Tom ordered it as soon as he saw it in a magazine. Uh, we Xeroxed off for shame, for shame. But that was only way to do it back in those days because you couldn't buy them. Uh, copies of it. And I had, I believe, the first dungeon on the West Coast. So we started playing Dungeons and Dragons and we didn't really know what to do. We all had, you know, it, it's a very rough outline, the original three box set. Um, we did, so we gave everyone a second level character to start with because clerics can recast spells at second level, if you remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And everyone got a first level henchman. So you'd have a henchman that, so we could kill someone instead of killing your character. That was, and we of course did the 3d6 roller order. And then we looked down at those dice and decide what kind of character you'd be. Oh, you've got a 16 intelligence. You'd make a good wizard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Rather the other way around, which is deciding what you want to be and then assigning dice numbers. I had an early dungeon. I, It's the um, the Tower of Al-Gabra. Terrible danger. Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. That's a great who, name. A wizard who was a great mathematician and astrologer and designed a dungeon and then it got out of control and he disappeared. And that was the start of the dungeon that I did. And other people, uh, Gary Switzer, uh, Hugh Singh, etc. we played, we got so enamored of this game that we also started to play at Arrow Hobbies with Gary Switzer and at Hugh Singh's house. And we'd play all weekend long. I mean, We'd start Friday at 5 o'clock and play till 2 o'clock in the morning. And we'd play Saturday from noon to 2 o'clock in the morning. And then Sunday, hmm. we'd just play, play, play. That'd require a whole lot of snacks. <laughs> it did. <laughs> well, I want to have a follow-up question. First, I want to ask, do you remember the name of that jousting game? Uh, no, I do not. You could probably look it up someplace. Sure. We'll try to track it down just so we can have it in our show notes and, and, and let people kind of look into it. Sounds very interesting. And then I love Algebra. I think that's fantastic. You you may say it. But I use a lot of name puns, so I'm not necessarily uh, the, the <laughs> best judge for what's acceptable puns or not. But, yeah, I love it. And I love the idea of, like, mathematician wizards i kind of think of like magic as the the math of the universe and so wizards have keyed into that awesome so daryl can you tell us about the invention of the thief how it came to be yes um we were playing dungeons and dragons and one of the persons he had a wizard and the wizard you know had a low strength as wizards often do and he had a dwarf henchman who also had a low strength, but a high dexterity. And so he was going on more or less a solo game. And he was frustrated because in original Dungeons and Dragons, you need a certain amount of strength in order to bash open doors and smash locks and stuff. And he could not do it. So he asked me, his name is Andy, and he's a lawyer, oddly enough, or he's in law school. <laughs> And he asked me, well, my dwarf has a really high dexterity. 
16 in those days was very high. Can you try to pick the lock with his dagger? I said, sure, why not? That's how you played early Dungeons & Dragons, and that's how all good dungeon masters do it. Sure, why not? Let's make a die roll. And he made a good die roll, and he picked the lock. Well, I saw right immediately that this was a needed class, and I drew up three levels of the class, more or less for use for henchmen, for NPCs. But then everyone was going, wow, the Grey Mouser, Kugel the Clever, Bilbo, we want to play thieves. And so I fleshed it out and did more levels, and it became a very popular thing to play in our games, which we called the universe of Arania, because gold was so common. This was uh, just like one page, and I kind of scribbled it down. The class fought like a cleric, had saving throws, kind of like a cleric, so that was good saving throws. But it had spells like a wizard, but those weren't spells. They're called abilities. And he had a list of first-level abilities, things like pick locks, disarm traps. Now, he chose as his first-level ability pick locks, like you a wizard would pick magic missile. A thief could then pick locks. Now, not just once, but all day long, because it was ability, not a spell. So he could pick locks. And then when he leveled up, he could get, pick a stutter ability, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. Pick open magical locks at, I think, third level and onward. And this was very popular, and uh, we all played one of the, and everyone had one. And Gary Switzer called Gary Gygax Long Distance, which in those days was a big deal. And told him about this class and sent him a Xerox copy of my uh, sheet. Gygax took that. He did a proto version of it using my system in a newsletter. But then I guess he didn't like the system, so he rewrote it uh, with percentile dice for skills and put that in Greyhawk. And there you have the genesis of the thief class from a dwarf henchman that would die enough strength to open the door to the thief class in Greyhawk. That is. Came from a dwarf. <laughs> Courtney really likes dwarves. <laughs> Well, and I was thinking, I was when I was thinking of the question, I was like, "Well, I wonder how it came about." And I was like, "I bet it was a dwarf." But I did not think about having a low strength, though. But I was just like, kind of that progression seemed more natural. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Probably just because I like. Well, dwarves. in OD and D, dwarves make some of the best thieves. Dwarves and and. Halflings, originally hobbits, but then mm. halflings, made the best thieves because they had all these bonuses to their skills. So they were by far the best. And since there's no level limit on their progression, especially for hobbits, it became the class of choice for hobbits and halflings. You could get as high level as you wanted. That's very interesting. I, I had a question about uh, your your thoughts on uh, in later versions of uh, basic D and D 
they made everything race as class where the thief was always a human. There weren't dwarven thieves or halfling thieves. Uh, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. But seeing as it came from dwarves, it seems like you would be not for it. <laughs> we never played the, um, the basic set. Mm -hmm. uh, we went, uh, we did play with, uh, I can't remember his name now, uh, Eric. Uh, John Eric Holmes? Yes. That basic we played set, yeah. him a little bit. He had a character named Eric the Cleric. That's um, fantastic. <laughs> he, but we, he wasn't a regular. We just played with a couple times, and he went off and did his own thing, which was basically he was a teacher, and he made basic D and D understandable mm -hmm. to non gamers. Uh, we went directly from O D and D to A D and D, first edition. We never bothered with the basic set. Or any right. of that stuff. Uh, but yes, in OD&D, they did have... Elf was a class for a while. Uh, it was type of magic user thing. But yeah, you could just play... You would play a, a halfling who was a thief or a human or a dwarf. Elves did not make very good thieves, actually, oddly enough. They had some good bonuses, but they weren't the best. Mm -hmm. Do you, or were there any of those abilities that you had mentioned that did not ever make it into the publication of Greyhawk? Were there were there some abilities you can remember your thief class having that never showed up? You know, we see open locks, remove traps, pickpockets, all of those kind of kind of uh, uh, carry over. But were there any that you had that just never showed up? I don't think so. I think he took all of them. He took all the abilities and translated them to percentile dice. That was Gary's big thing. Gary was... Remember what Gary did is Gary took Dave Arneson's stuff, which was... An, I played with Dave Arneson once at one game. Dave Arneson was all... He had a few hastily written down charts. He didn't believe in rules, per se. Mm -hmm. And what Gary's skill was, was taking other people's big nebulous ideas and turning the sets of rules that work. Mm -hmm. I mean, even OD&D still works, even though it's not as polished as, you know, AD&D, obviously. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. And yeah, er everything's informed a little bit by the thing that comes before it. Right. Um, so have you ever heard of, of this kind of, resistance to the thief class um uh you know you, uh, uh, there are some people who feel like before the thief class or without a thief in the party then anybody can kind of look for for traps or pick locks what are your feelings on this kind of uh resistance to having a thief in the rules to allow those abilities to just go to whatever character class. Oh, I was there, and no, sure. you could not. Right, a look. that's period. You, there was no possibility at all in the rules of picking a lock. Now, sometimes you could the dungeon masters have a trap, and you could kind of say how you would disarm it mm -hmm. if you know allowed you to spot it because you. Had a, a dwarf who could spot traps or something. Um, but then again, there was not, it wasn't a character class ability. It was you as a person 
describing how, okay, so I am going to get across this pit trap by um, taking some iron spikes and driving them to the wall. But there's no rule for that. That's just what you said you would do. Mm-hmm. And that works sometimes with some traps, absolutely. But back in those days, the dungeons were full of devious, deadly Gygaxian traps. <laughs> Not traps like they have nowadays where, oh, gosh darn, I take blank D6 of dice damage. I'll just take it. And then the clerical heal me and on. No, I mean, they would do things like strip you naked and send you to a, a pit and then your all your stuff goes into another pit or whatever. Uh, so just they were just barreling through the traps didn't work. That would be disaster. So yeah, some traps could be done in, but then is that role playing? Because that's your yourself as a person thinking now how to get past this trap. So you could have Thog, the Int Six Barbarian, describing this intricate way of getting past the trap. <laughs> That's not role playing. That's playing a puzzle room, and you're playing yourself. So back in those days, and also you could bash open doors. A lot mm-hmm. of doors could be bashed open, and that was what would fail them because you know I understand. To bash open doors, but then if you bashed a chest, you would break the potions, um, destroy other things in there, mm-hmm. uh, set up traps that would destroy all the all the good loot, uh, whatever. So the thief was a necessary part of dungeon crawling. Now, of course, you don't really need a thief anymore. Um, every class can <laughs> open locks or disable device. The thief or the rogue now is best at it, but every class can do it. Well, uh, that, that that is definitely something we want to talk about. It's actually our next question on our list. I did want to I did want to mention um, uh, before we move on to that, uh, just how much I love the fact that it was it was something so simple as a, a locked door, a blocked, you know, uh, uh, a way to get through. Um, you know, you, you see that, you see that closed door and you came up with a solution and, and it was so mechanics driven. Cause in my mind, I'd always kind of wondered if it were like, and I think the response to it was this way, but I kind of always imagined someone was just like, you know what? Thieves are in fantasy literature. We should have a thief class. I kind of assumed that was it. And the and the fact that it was just done through play, I love that. I love that it was just discovered. I believe it was a chest on a door, but same thing, yes. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was done because the class was necessary. And to give... Gygax, total credit, he immediately recognized it as something the game was lacking, a big four, and immediately put it into the game within a short time after hearing about it. So, you know, Gygax recognized a good thing when he saw it. 
So how do you feel about the way the class is presented now um, with the name Rogue and the way it plays in more modern versions of D&D? How do you feel that the class has evolved over time? Well, it's no longer necessary. You no longer have, okay, well, who's going to be the healer? Who's going to be the magic healer? Who's going to be the tank? And who's going to be the uh, trap remover? Because traps aren't as deadly, and everyone can, a ranger, for example, can get you by a number of traps. Um, other classes can do it too. But still, the rogue remains one of the most popular classes to play. Even though they have neutered it by allowing other classes to do what it does. And, and see, that's the thing I thought was wrong. Okay, it's like saying, well, look, can't, why can't every class cast Fireball? I mean, mm -hmm. it's saying, why can't, why can't every class pick a lock? Why can't every class cast Fireball? See, so that neutered the class to some extent. And the lack of those devious... Gygaxian traps, uh, just simply a D6 of damage or whatever, or poison or whatever, something easily healable, and also neutered the class. But the rogue today is still a very fun class and one of the most popular. So they, they neutered it as a necessary part of the party, but they didn't get rid of the fun. Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting because... I, I think people think of that in modern D&D as a feature that any class can do anything and that there isn't a strong archetypical structure. And uh, I vastly prefer the archetypical structure of old school D&D where you you kind of sought out these different components to form a, a perfect team to go into the dungeon. And everybody has their own job. All right. And I have no problem when you have like 20 classes that some other of the classes, assassin, uh, mm -hmm. bard, whatever, couldn't be adequate as thieves, not as good as the original, but can be adequate. That's fine. Just like some other classes, like the bard can cast spells. Some other classes, like the paladin, can do some healing. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I mean, it's, but it shouldn't be everyone be able to do it because. You know, if you have 20 classes, it should be a quarter of them should be able to cast arcane spells, a quarter cast healing spells, and a quarter of them should be able to <laughs> locks and pick traps. And the other ones, no. It's a, it should be a special ability. Make them more special. Uh, so speaking of that, I want to go back to Thieves and, and the use of special abilities in your original concept. Do mm -hmm. you remember the mechanics of how that die roll was made? I, I, I know you said Gygax changed it to percentile dice, so I assumed it wasn't percentile dice. Do you know what it was? No die roll at all. If I you see. had pick locks, well, we, we first of all, pick locks. Then it was pick simple locks, pick complex mm -hmm. locks, pick ump and magical locks levels, you just simply could do it. That's I it. See. No roll. There was a there was a dungeon lock. You had that class ability. Just like what's the role required to do uh, magic missile? You have to roll to cast magic missile. No, you have to cast. 
So it sped up the game a lot, too. Now, mm -hmm. the Dungeon Master could say, oh, well, uh, you know, you've lost your Thieves tools. Because it could happen. Thereby, you have to roll, make the die roll to do it. Or you have to improvise some tools or something. Sure, because we always could pull these things out, you know, of mm -hmm. our butts. Uh, it require a die roll. Roll, you know, under your decks to do it then. But in general, there's no die roll. You just like, there's no die roll to turn invisible. There's no die roll to cast Cure Light Wounds. It just did. When you were playing and your friend got to the chest and he decided that he was a dwarf and he decided he wanted to try and pick the lock, did you make him like roll under his decks or? Yes. I was just, I just decided to roll under his decks. That was just good DMing. Right. It's just this dwarf henchman who had a halberd and and a dagger and, and we gave all the dwarf henchmen's halberds for some reason. I can't remember why, but we did. And uh, so he came up and didn't want to smash the chest open because he suspected potions and stuff. And so he had the dwarf pick the lock and I let him do it. You let him try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and after that, you know, you know, we did say, and it did say that, you know, uh, pick locks, pick simple locks, it was assumed you had a set of lock picks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you weren't, you know, your decks hadn't all been strained to zero or stuff like that. But assumed normal stuff. So is there a character in literature that you feel captures the ideal of what you picture as a thief uh, class character? Or uh, is it not as is it not as constrained to literature for you as that is? Well, Kugel the Clever and the Grey Mouse are probably the best archetypes. Uh, obviously, Bilbo wasn't really a burglar. Mm -hmm. Uh Although he certainly had, being a hobbit, had certain burglar-like abilities. Uh, so those are the two archetypes. There's several others, of course. Uh, early Conan. Uh, Conan was became a thief for a while. Um, mm -hmm. He only classed. <laughs> then thief, then knight. You know. So that's what we're th we were thinking of the you know the adventures of of Conan as a, as a thief. Those sort of archetypes and uh, Fawford and the Grey Mouser, and we even had a almost all thieves game in Lankmar. Uh, you know, uh, so that was cool too. I had the idea that that City of Thieves uh, shared adventure book came out of that idea, perhaps. Well, is there anything else you want to cover on thieves before we move on? No, no. Oh, well, yes. I have given Jared, uh, otherwise known as Illusionist Investment Group, the rights to the uh, original Thief, and I rewrote the original Thief for Pathfinder 3.5 5th edition type thing, and with the abilities as opposed to mm -hmm. high rolls. And apparently that will be showing up someday from his company. 
Very interesting. And uh, at this time, would you like to talk about the Manual of Arania and your, uh, am I saying that right? <laughs> yes, you are saying it right. Awesome. You pronounced it correctly. The last guy didn't pronounce it correctly. Manual of Arania, yes. Uh, uh, do you want to talk anything about that uh, while, we're, while we have you? Sure. Um, Emmanuel Arania came apart uh, because, uh, well, we'd written some stuff up for uh, one of the uh, Alarms and Excursions and published it, and people really liked some of our stuff. And, of course, then we we saw the Thief class had been stolen by Gary, by Gary Gygax, mm. although Gary Switzer did not tell us uh, of his involvement there. I think he's going to be – I think he was – Afraid I'd be angry at him. Um, so we decided to make a, a Greyhawk, basically. And we took our monsters and our classes and made a couple of our new ones up just for that book. And uh, wrote it up and Xeroxed it off. I had free use of a Xerox machine as I was a security guard at a company that had those big old Xerox machines. And they said, oh, sure, go ahead and use the machine. They didn't, I think, imagine that I was going to make 300 copies of a 40-page <laughs> book, but they just said, go ahead. Um, so we Xeroxed off 300 copies of it, and it sold like uh, hotcakes. Uh, it's mostly stuff that I wrote most of it. Uh, Hugh Singh edited it. And he came up with a couple of the classes, the uh, Samurai, the Bjorni, the Shapeshifter is his. And Larry Steele uh, typed it up, uh, complete with typos, and submitted um, a couple of monsters too. Amy and Troy did the illustrations, and Troy is now a uh, famous artist, Troy, Troy Locker Palmer. And she's now a famous artist. That cool? That's awesome. And so it became so popular. Uh, the Warhouse and the and another uh, distributor said, "Well, we want more." So we had Larry retype it, to get rid of most of the typos, and put in some nice illustrations. And actually had a professional copier, printer, copying us off. I think it was a thousand, but it could have been fifteen hundred copies, and uh, those also sold. Uh, we were guest of honors, I think, at Gundracon three, and a few other things. It was quite popular back in those days. It was the very first third-party um, uh, supplement for Dungeons and Dragons, and now it's kind of legendary as there's. Well, there's only the 1,500 copies or so, and that's all there is, so it's very hard to get all of a copy. And I've been told I sold the rights uh, to, uh, again, Illusionist uh, Investment, and they're supposedly redoing the art and coming out with a new version of it with uh, new art and old art, and that'll be... Uh, soon available very cool well, we'll definitely keep our listeners updated on that now we to hear a, a fun thing we had done the Librum of Arania the sequel 
And then we kind of squabbling over it because Hugh said this has just got too many uh, typos. and uh, But the art was gorgeous in my mind. And uh, recently, Troy found the, the copy of it, the original working version. Sent that off Blues of the Expression uh, Group 2, and uh, hey, this will be great too. <laughs> awesome. No one's seen that. Just a very few people have seen that. That's really cool. So there's there's a unknown, unseen expansion uh, for OD&D that uh, uh, may be making its way to the market soon. I believe the Librum and the Manual will be Kickstarters. The Manual Arena first, and then the Librum. And so put uh, send your uh, emails and thoughts and PMs to Illusions uh, uh, Expression Group and whatnot, and let's get this thing out there because uh, I'm sure... Lots of people will love to see it. And especially for now, it's the in thing to do OD&D campaigns. And if you're going to do an OD&D campaign, ours is pretty much the only supplement. So, cool, you can have an OD&D supplement along with your OD&D campaign. All right, and we should be able to get that information in the uh, show notes, uh, the illusionist uh, and where to reach them if you want to uh, bang on their door and say, get to work, get to work, let's get this out there. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly uh, uh, figure out how to get you uh, at their doorstep. So, Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to uh, speak towards uh, before we wrap up? Uh, yes, I do want to mention that soon uh, there will be a movie out by Pat Kilbane called The Dreams in Gary's Basement, and I will be featured in that movie. Uh, Probably not a major feature, but Hmm. we'll be in that movie. So that will be very cool when that finally comes out. There are no small parts, even in documentaries. (laughs) This will be a small part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I still look forward to it. I'm I'm glad to uh, uh, hear he was able to talk to you and and get you in that and uh i'm excited to see it yeah he was so excited he he was just i, I showed him the original dungeon the original dungeon the uh algebra and he was just going turning the pages reverently going this this dates from the original D back in the old days this is like this is like finding the lost scroll or something i'm going yeah yeah, yeah. that was very cool <laughs> Yeah, I got the same. I got the same problem he does. <laughs> uh, and uh, until COVID hurt it, I was running my Friday night gaming group through that dungeon. So they got the wow. they got to play in the first dungeon on the west coast. Will the dungeon of Algarol be published? Actually, no one has asked for that to be published. Uh, that would be a very interesting thing to. Uh, I mean, it's really not legible, uh, except to me with my very bad handwriting. But uh, I could probably get somebody, an artist and uh, someone to actually uh, publish the dungeon. That would be a very interesting thing to do. I, I never thought of that. 
I didn't think anyone would be interested, to be honest with you. Well, I think there'd be a lot of people interested. <laughs> and I, I know one person right here uh, talking to you <laughs> that, that is very interested in seeing the right. and running the Dungeon of Algebra. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm a stay-at-home homeschool dad. I have two kids, and I use D&D. To, to help them with their math skills. So the Dungeon of Algebra sounds right up my alley. <laughs> I, I pronounced it slightly differently just to get people, uh, to have people think about it. I said Algebra, but yeah, they got it after. <laughs> <laughs> Algebra. I got to get that right pronunciation. I, I understand. Just so, just so it wasn't too obvious. <laughs> you don't want to get a, a, a seasoned assist from the big algebra lawyers. Yes, right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Daryl, for uh, being here, and uh, 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 it was great having you. What a what a cool uh, rundown of early D anD D and the invention of the thief. This was very cool for me. I, I love uh, hearing stories of OD, old school D anD D, especially very very early D anD D, and it was uh, very interesting to hear how hey, that was created. Anytime. All right. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Okay, thanks a lot, and stay safe, stay cool. You too. Thanks. Well, thanks again to Daryl Wagner for being with us. Uh, we do have a couple of emails, or actually one email and one Facebook message, but I think we're going to go ahead and read both of those now. All right, here we go. Hey, Courtney, Carl, and Crispy. Have you guys heard of Robert Warbaugh and his campaign that started in Canada 38 years ago? You may have heard this show as it's been out for a while, but I listened to it a few weeks ago and loved the old school D and D vibe. Uh, and then he links. Uh, uh, he's he's uh, sending us a link to the episode that Robert Warbar was on of the Dragon Talk podcast, which is the official D and D podcast for Fifth Edition D and D. And every once in a while, they'll do something that's a little bit more old school focused. And this is one of those episodes. And he says, thanks for your show, Toby from Australia. That is super awesome that you're from Australia. P.S. First played Redbox Basic in 1984 at the end of... Oh. P.S. First played Redbox Basic in 1984 at the age of 12. So your podcast helps me history check into my nostalgia for that era of play. Thank you. You're welcome. Courtney really wants to go to Australia. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> this so, be a kangaroo. I I had heard of Robert Warbaugh but uh before this email and I'd seen uh there's a couple of videos um from different places and I don't even remember where the places were from but I saw two videos where he talked about his 38 year long campaign um which is astounding in and of itself. Uh Primarily, what it looks to me is that he's using a modified uh, second edition AD&D for those campaigns. Uh, so it was really cool to get the real kind of long take podcast form story about it uh, from the uh, Dragon Talk podcast. And it's always cool when when any like fifth edition uh, uh, modern D&D medium takes a look at old school D and D cause it's always just nice to take a look back. And, uh, you know, it's obviously the content I'm interested in as someone who plays old school D and D primarily. We should start a campaign and play for 38 years, Courtney. Like one campaign. Yeah. Like just go for 38 <laughs> years, same world, 
say not not stop playing at level five like every other time like like let's just let's be level 20 and 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 you know fight uh fight thor fight thor for his hammer well i have to take notes <laughs> i can't remember what happens the session before on a yeah level five <laughs> character whatever it's a problem <laughs> possibly diagnosable who knows all right. For our Facebook message, we wanted to read to you guys today. Long story, but I'll keep it short. I've played D&D on and off since the late 70s, but I'm new to listening to podcasts. From a D&D Facebook page, I learned of a new podcast, This Old Dungeon. I started listening, but being new, they've only put out a few episodes. I asked them for recommendations on other D&D podcasts I could listen to, and they referred me to you guys. Awesome. Thanks. As I mentioned before, I started listening to you at the beginning. I'm up to Adventure 55. I recently thanked them for sending me your way, and they read my note on air and had a lot of nice things to say about you guys. Aww. You might want to check out the good review in Episode 4. Thanks for providing me hours of reminiscing. Hopefully I'll be hearing from you. DM Carl, right? Soon. Uh, that message came from Jonathan Kurtz. Thank you uh, so much for listening, Jonathan. Unfortunately, you still have quite a ways to get to uh, this message, uh, this episode. Uh, Feel free to go ahead and jump to episode 149 where Courtney comes in. Courtney fan club. <laughs> he's not going to hear this. He's going He's going in order. <laughs> um, I mean, but, he'll eventually hear it. But I do want to... Surprised. Uh, uh, <laughs> so... I do want to mention, I, I wanted to read this because I wanted to talk a little bit about this old dungeon, which I wasn't aware of. I somehow missed that this existed, but this is uh, from Save or Die listener Luau Lu, who's written in a couple of times and uh, is just is a really cool guy and has a podcast. And I've not even heard this one with the nice review of, of Save or Die on it. For all I know, he says, uh, don't like the new hosts. I think, I think he likes us, okay? But um, uh, so... Uh, I just wanted to mention it and uh, give Lualu a shout out because he's been uh, really supportive of Save or Die, and uh, I'm gonna check out his podcast. Definitely, I like the title. I mean, mm -hmm. nothing else. That's pretty solid. Yeah, this old dungeon, the Bob Vila esque logo and everything, fantastic. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it uh, for this episode of Save or Die. And I don't know that we'll have an actual play at the end of this episode because Crispy isn't here and we don't have one recorded. Uh, so there might be an actual play after the credits. There might not. Who knows what's going to happen? You should you could stick around at, for these messages and see if there's an actual play segment. There may be. There may not be. We may get together and record it separately. We may not. I don't know what's going to happen, guys. I'm scared, but we'll get through this together. Peace out, Cub Scout. So you like AD&D 2nd Edition, but no podcast to listen to? Guess what? We got the cure right here. I got a fever. And the only prescription is the Thaco's Hammer Podcast. You want me to put the hammer down? Join DM's Glenn, Brian, Corey, and Full-On Gamer as they discuss, debate, and review the world of 2nd Edition AD. Yes. Go here. Give me a gin. Yeah, that's, that's DM Corey ordering drinks. Sorry. 
Sorry, girlfriend's getting gin. Rules, modules, supplements, clones, everything 2E is fair game. Someone lied to you, and there's an opposed role, and oh, they won, so you believe the lie. I know, but I don't because I, the player, know that they lied to me, but mm -hmm. you, the character, have to act like you take the lie. So listen into a podcast where number two is number one. The Thaco's Hammer Podcast, the best damn second edition ADD podcast ever. You'll find it on iTunes or at thacoshammer.info. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Great! Why not head over to patreon.com WGP and support that show for as little as dollar a month. Dollar a month goes a long way to helping support the network Wild Games Productions. Again, that's patreon.com WGP. Thank you. Hilda and Leothward and the Red Shields and the Ghost of Jan are returning to Jan's small home. As they approach the home in the distance, they see a bald man looking around the perimeter of the building. This gentleman is dressed in chain mail armor and has a jeweled belt around his waist. He has his hand resting on the hilt of a sword that hangs from his jeweled belt. He is looking around the outside of Jan's house. You're still safely away from him. You're still like you're, you he just came into your field of vision, but uh, uh uh, he could see you just as easily as you're seeing him. He does not seem to have seen you yet. Oh. Uh, is there anything I can duck behind? Um, there's like an alleyway probably that you could probably get between you and him. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, what's the fantasy equivalent of cheese it It's the fuzz to the party. Like, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna try uh, to get everyone to duck into the alley with me. I believe it's, uh, Kurt, it's the straw. Yeah, I want to. I want to have us like <laughs> hide before he can see us. Okay, so you're saying let's get out of here, get get behind the alleyway. Uh, Hilda, what are you doing? I mean, I I duck too. Okay. As quietly as I can. All right, you all kind of hide and get out of view. Well, I, I want to ask Jan if he recognizes this person. No, he does not look familiar. I do not know who he is. It's not like his brother. No. Can we, can we uh, see brother. What kind of emblem he has? Now. Not. Noi. What's Yon backwards? Noi? I guess Noi? I guess. All right. Um, uh, eventually, as he as he's uh, looking around the perimeter building, he looks around, sees that nobody's watching, and he breaks into the house. Oh, shh. Nikes. I almost did a swear. Um, all right, let's. Then we can we can observe him doing that. Mm -hmm. Do we see what kind of emblem he had on? Or there's no emblem. There's no like uh, guild sigil or anything like that that he's wearing. Yon, did you owe anyone a large sum of money? You, I think, kind of, maybe the only person. Did we ever get into Yon's house? I feel like we did. You did. I, I think you actually something? broke in. I think you broke in to get in, but you may have just picked the lock, but... I can't remember. Sorry. Yeah. 
I'm sure people, the person who's binging this right now, who's just listened to the last episode, is like, no, you did this, you idiots. It's possible. Um, I think we should go. I think we should go pay a visit to our good friend Yon at his home address. Does he seem in military, like, uniform or just in nice clothing? No, he doesn't look like a city guard or anything like that or a soldier or anything. He looks like a sellsword or a mercenary before anything else. He is in nice clothing, but... uh no, you don't get the impression that he is on any type of official business or anything like that. And he's not in any type of of a uniform that would denote a soldier or a, a guard of this city. Okay. So, you're standing outside Jan's house. You're in an alleyway. You've seen this guy break into the house, and he's in there now. I think we should get the I, drop on him. Jan, is there only one way in and out of your house? Yes, just that door. It's the only way in. Who's uh, checking it out? Do we just want to walk right up in there? Yes. I mean, like, not. I mean, like, we walk up to the house, but, like, I don't know, maybe we, like, position ourselves so we can, like, file it and surround him. Well, you have Eric, Cooper, and Brother Bowen with you that can help in the, the fight. Um, uh, and then the two of you. What if, what if we go in and have Eric, Cooper, and Brother Ben, who, Brother who, Brother Bowen, Brother Bowen, um, kind of hang out by the entrance to keep an eye on the outside of things and not make it quite five on one. Hmm. Yeah, we watch our backs and we'll yeah. take them two on one. Yeah, but within earshot. I mean, I don't think Jan's house is gigantic. No, it's a small house. <laughs> so they can just listen for trouble on the inside. Okay. So just the two of you are going in? I think so, yeah. I mean, we're just... Yes. Going right inside the door to talk to this guy. Okay. So are you walking in, sneaking in? Well, like, it hasn't been that long since Yon died. Mm -hmm. That sounds so callous. I know he's not real or whatever, but, like, you know. Uh, So, like, I I imagine that the news of his demise is not widespread. Mm -hmm. So I think we could, like, we could probably fake it and be like, that we're visiting Yon. I see. Oh, what are you... Like, you know, be like, what are you doing in our good friend Yon's home, stranger? Okay. So you walk in as if you're just... before we do. Okay. Yon, I need you to be as quiet as you can and also invisible. I think that's how I am all the time, unless it's you. Oh, yeah, because he's... Yeah, you're right. Never mind. I'm an idiot. I forgot about that. I forgot about the rules of ghost Yon. All right, then. Never mind. Yeah, let's go in. Okay, so Jan and you two go into the building. And Cooper, Brother Bowen, and Eric stay outside to keep watch, make sure nothing else goes down. But still an earshot of you as a as group A and their group B. 
and you walk into the building, and this guy, this bald warrior, has torn the place apart, clearly looking for something. And as soon as you walk in, he starts, ah! and he draws his sword. Hello there. His eyes dart back and forth between Hilda and Leothward, and he says, Hello? What are you doing here? Paying a visit to our good friend Yon. What are you doing here? Are you a friend of Yon's? Yes. Uh, Yon is my friend. Uh, but I guess he's not here. So I guess we should all go. Was it like this when you got here? Yes, that's very suspicious. That seems very unlike Yon. If anything, I would describe my good friend Yon as being exceptionally tidy. It should be worrisome. So maybe we should all leave. Also, if you know anything about Yon, you know he has a pathological fear of bald men. Drop your charade, sir. Uh, well, I do think we should all be leaving now, since Yon is not here. Oh, and this is his house. What are you doing here? just paying a visit so I'll be going now like you right since none of no. us no one is going anywhere if Yon is your friend what's his last name oh wait you meant to say his given name family name yeah last name's fine this isn't this isn't <laughs> whatever <laughs> we're not the royal Shakespeare company or anything um, he goes, Yon, John. I look at Yon's ghost <laughs> and give like a, is that, is that correct? Is that real? <laughs> I say, Yon, John? And I turn and look. No, it's not my name. It's just Yon. I do not have a family name. If you were a friend of Yon, you'd know he doesn't have a family name. So tell us, what is your business here? Aside from being very bad at lying. Okay, he attacks. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I was trying to decide. Like He's backed in a corner. He's got to get out. He, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He was looking kind of dumb with his finger and his thumb, all that kind of stuff. Um. So, that's where we're going to stop on this episode of Save or Die. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next episode. The Save or Die podcast is a production of Wild Games Production, and it's produced for entertainment purposes only. The music used in the intro and outro is by Tripod and used with permission. Be sure to visit the Save or Die crew at saveordie.info for more information. If you'd like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash WGP.